0: Back in the chair, eh? Yeah. Back in the chair. Do you remember how to be a podcast? Superstar? No, I don't,
1: don't remember how to do this.
0: Oh fuck. And welcome to another episode of Doctor Who, Too Hot for TV. We are the podcast that covers all things Doctor Who Extended Universe, from MAs to EDAs, from Dalek spin-offs to Cybermen rip-offs, from Clangers to Bangers, we cover it all. This week, I'm joined by a very special guest who some of the listeners here may be familiar with. So who is joining me here in the Too Hot for TV studio slash room in my house? Uh,
1: It's former... Podcast
0: member Jack. <laughs> oh, hi Jack. Well, where have you been? Well, I've
1: been, I've been writing. I've been reading all things that aren't related to Doctor Who. Uh, what's so that been, like? But, um, there's a lot less um, Daleks. A lot less yeah. wheezing and groaning. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Oh, well, that, well, that's good. Well, thanks for coming back to the fold mm. for uh, what's sure to be the best episode of this series. Yes, it's a pleasure to be back. Good. Have you consumed any Doctor Who stuff since you've last been here? It's been nearly a year. Anything that sticks in your mind? Or have you just completely expunged Doctor Who completely from your life? Well,
1: no, I have a remote job where I can keep stuff running in the background, so I've been... I saw the Sea Devils the other day whilst (laughs) I was working, because I can just keep it running. Yeah. Because I work as a designer, so I don't... I can I can do visual work and listen to stuff at the same time. Yeah, Sea Devils. That's a bit fucking weird, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Did you enjoy it? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's um, I I listened I watched it because we recently saw the Radiophonic Workshop yes. a performance, and I thought, oh, I'll well, listen to that mad old bingy bongy zingy <laughs> zingy wingy noise that Malcolm Clark made. It's fucking mad. What a guy. Yeah.
0: Um, do you know what? I've never. I don't love the Sea Devil. You know, like it's hmm. always revered as a classic. I just like—I'm a bit meh about it, to be honest.
1: I quite like it. I think it's a lot. It's, i think it's a lot scarier than Legend of the Sea Devils. Yeah. The ending's
0: a bit easy, but um, no, I like it. I, it does nothing wrong at all. Okay, well, that's good to hear. So um, we're sat here on the eve of Jodie Whittaker's final episode. We're going to be watching it yes. in about. Three hours time. Yes. Which is very exciting. Yeah. What are your predictions?
1: I think I don't have any expectations. I don't want them to be too high, right. and but they're not that low. I've overall enjoyed the Chibnall era, yeah. so but I don't think it's mind-blowingly good. Okay. So I don't. It's very odd considering the last time we had such a big anniversary celebration story, it was Day of the Doctor. Yeah. And I think if anything, my expectation for that were too high. And for this, I have no expectations at all
0: Oh, that's good Things can only improve Uh, If you had to predict three things that will happen And as this goes out, Mm. you'll get a uh, uh, If you get them wrong Okay
1: Uh, I think the old Doctors will be in it In some kind of a weird cameo Mm. Which might not even work But they'll be there (laughs) Um, I think Jodie Whittaker will get a very good send-off and it will be very sad yeah. in terms of like her final speech and how she how she dies. Mm. I think that will be quite strong. What I would like, but I don't know if they'll do it, would be for the Doctor and Yaz to kiss. <coughs> but I don't know if it will happen or not. Yeah. Do you um, think
0: we might get like a weird meta crisis tenth thirteenth um, Doctor situation where they get they send Yaz off with a clone of? Oh, that'd be weird. Yeah. I mean, it was weird last time. Yeah
1: yeah no 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 no, mm. no it's odd but um and my my prediction for the end is that shooty gap will appear for a very sp- split moment before mm. quickly changing into david tennant okay um because that's because it's already been publicly announced that david tennant is coming back yeah um so i think they would do something to upend that a bit and we'll see a brief glimpse of shooty and yes. then he'll disappear
0: my my three predictions are that the timeless child story will not be fully resolved, Yeah. somebody will die but it'll be like a Kate Stewart or a Vinder rather than Yaz mm-hmm. or Dan, mm-hmm. uh, and that it'll be an open-ended, regen- we won't see who Jodie turns into uh, but David Tennant will appear some way somehow, those mm-hmm. are my three predictions but we're not here to talk about the television series Doctor yeah. Who are we? Uh, what are we talking about today Jack? We're
1: talking about series one of Dalek Empire.
0: Ah, from The Big Finish. Mm. Too, Too hot for TV. Hello, it's future Dylan here again. Just to say... Rather than do what we normally do, where we will do a synopsis and then talk about the release. We didn't want to divide things up so much here, so we're really just going to go through the story beat by beat and examine it, with the odd news at the time thrown in for good measure. Before we jump into it full, what are your thoughts on the Daleks in the classic series up to this point? So forget about the new series, Mm. like... How do you feel about the general evolution of the Daleks over 26 odd years? Um, I have always enjoyed them. They've never
1: scared me, but I've always found them exciting. Hmm. So I think they're exciting to watch. I think as a kid, I loved Planet of the Daleks, and I loved Remembrance of the Daleks.
0: That's because they're two fucking belters.
1: Um, Well, I don't think every fan would agree on Planet of the Daleks. No, but Um, they'd be wrong. But... Yeah, I think Remembrance of the Daleks is probably the best story from the classic series. I'm going to put it out there. I think it's the only, It's one of a minority of stories that you could show to someone now yeah. that they would enjoy. As, as dated as it is, I think it's pretty, pretty damn good.
0: Yeah, I would agree. It's weird you say the Daleks never scared you. Because you're right, the Daleks never scared me watching Doctor Who. But before I even saw Doctor Who as a child... Mm. There was something at the NEC in Birmingham. It was, there was like an ingra- like an inside fair, mm. and I remember going there and there being a Dalek, mm. like a full size Dalek, scooting around and being absolutely fucking terrified of it. Mm. And that I would say, even when we went to conventions up until about the age of ten, mm. I found Daleks in real life terrifying, mm. but not in the TV series. Yeah, odd yeah. that. Yeah, I
1: find them scary in th- the Daleks' Master Plan. For some reason. I don't know oh, why. Yeah. I think those cl- seeing the, the surviving clips of Katarina dying, mm. as, a, as a kid, you go, oh, wow, that's Doctor Who is a really dark, serious drama. <laughs> Even though it's not. It's not. But as a kid, it was like, oh, wow, things were really tough then when things were in black and white. Do
0: you know, it's weird. I think the nearest they get to being scary for me when I was a kid is on audio of the soundtracks to Power and Evil. I remember listening to them and thinking, that, whoa, the Daleks sound fucking mean. Mm. But, you know, in the Pertwee era, I think they're slightly less effective because everything's a bit 70s and kind Mm. of janky. Mm. And then once Davros shows up, they're just servants, really, aren't they? They become a bit too robotic. But there we go. So, you heard Dalek Empire Series 1 upon its first release. Before coming back to this, how did you remember it?
1: Um, I remembered it being really solidly good. I remember it being quite a hardcore kind of... I remember it being a bit of an adult drama in that it wasn't the same as Doctor Who and Mm. that the characters really went through the ringer in it. That was my main memory.
0: Yeah. One of the interesting things that I found... Coming, I felt much the same, but coming back to it, was a lot of the stuff I really remember about it isn't in this series.
1: Same. Yeah, yeah. same here.
0: Um, so there's lots of things that maybe we'll discuss as we go through mm. the sort of story beats of it. But yeah, most of the stuff that I that really sticks out is not mm. present in this first series. So... It's a four-part series. Mm. Uh, The first one is Invasion of the Daleks, which was recorded on the 6th of May 2001 at the Moat Studios and released on the 25th of June 2001. At the time, Caves of Androzani had just come out on Blu-ray. The 8th Doctor story... Minuet in Hell had just come out. The 8th Doctor book was Eater of Wasps by Trevor Baxendale while The Doctor's Effect by Steve Camden was out about the VFX of Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. Past Doctor Adventure was the 4th Doctor and Nyssa what a combination, in Asylum, and Big Finish had announced a new writer called Joseph Lidster was writing a story called The Priory, set in and around a contemporary nightclub slash disco, which obviously became The Rapture. Christopher Biggins was announced in starring in a Feast of Stephen-style episode of Doctor Who, along with Matt Lucas and Adam Buxton, which is a pretty good lineup which would ultimately become the one doctor and the comic strip was the last word a 10th anniversary celebration of the new adventures featuring the seventh doctor ace and benny any of those stick out to you particularly
1: i i remember that 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 comic strip and the audio's released and yeah. the doctor's effects it's all, it's obviously all pre 911 so it's just it's <laughs> Obviously. Is that how you mark things in your life? No,
0: but it is it, it, like it, Doctor it, Who got shit after nine eleven. It is
1: imagine. It's odd imagining the couple of. I think it's it's because I've recently been watching Adam Curtis's new documentary series about Russia, and obviously it's all about politics. Mm. And so, so, politically, the world is divided between pre and post 9 11 So yeah. it's odd to think of those couple of months. It has no impact on the storytelling <laughs> of Doctor Who. Uh, But that's all I'm thinking is like,
0: oh, wow, yeah, innocent days. (laughs) (laughs) Really, it was the release of The One Doctor in December of uh, just after 9-11 that really picked up the mood of the nation, wasn't it? Yes.
1: Yeah. No, I for Doctor
0: Who, I remember
1: it being a very good time. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Less so if you lived in New York. Uh, so, Dalek Empire 1, Invasion of the Daleks. So, the Earth Alliance detects an anomaly on the fringes of the galaxy, so they send a ship to investigate, and it's destroyed by thousands of ships. We then jump to Vega 6, where we meet taxi driver Albie Brook and Susan Mendez, who is his favourite customer. Susan's on a mission for the Reisberg Institute, looking for rare minerals, but they go for a picnic that's interrupted by a crashing spaceship, which you know we've used worst excuses to get out of dates, mm. so these are our leads mm. do you Do you buy their budding relationship here? I really like the actors mm-hmm. who play
1: both parts, yeah, how their romance develops is kind of this the, the, I can only talk about it in the context of the whole mm. series that's fine, which is that um it's insinuated that they're both pining for each other, yeah. But you never find out whether they actually did anything. Yeah. <laughs> so this is this is the thing that if it was written today, with the hindsight of the character characterisation of the new series, it would immediately get addressed. Yeah. And what you're expecting is that you have this opener of them eating pickled onions. Yeah. Um, Which is a
0: weird thing to do on a date. Yes.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then you don't know whether... Uh, he he is her taxi driver essentially, isn't he? Yeah,
0: but he's been sent to also keep an eye on her, right?
1: He, I thought he was he was under he's undercover yeah. as a spy he's tracking a spy. her, but has fallen for her. Yeah, but it's never implied whether they've had a lot of dates or whether or he's the, just the taxi yeah. driver. Whether they've even like kissed, and so you keep I kept expecting like oh, there's going to be a flashback scene to show mm. more of what happened between yeah. them because they're suddenly obsessed with he well. well it's never quite implied. They say it never really started. Yeah. So it might just be a crush. And so it's this odd thing of it's it's a series for adult Doctor Who fans, mm. but the romance is very kind of off screen and kind of they, there's nothing there's nothing adult about the relationship.
0: That's because most Doctor Who fans haven't <laughs> had adult relationships at that point.
1: That that was a kind of a, a quibble for me because I kind of I buy the actors both selling the fact that they've they've both got these feelings for each other, mm. but. A pickled onion does not make a romance. Meant.
0: You know this. No. Yeah, I do, I do. Many a times have I showed up with a pickled onion and it's not enough to uh, seal the deal. Yeah,
1: but the actors are good enough that you kind of, by the end of it, I kind of didn't care mm. that we don't know whether, the, you, know, what, you know, what was it, like a fumble over a meal deal, uh, you know, <laughs> Very odd.
0: Well, they're Chekhov's pickled onions, aren't they? Because, of course, they come back in the uh, the final, in the third part. Yeah. I do think their relationship is one of the less successful parts of the script. I think Nick Briggs is good at dialogue when it's all action and gung-ho and things like that. But in terms of the interaction between two people that might have a bit of chemistry, less so. Mm. But... It's also, you know, he's got a regional accent, so there is kind of a move away from Doctor Who was still quite RP yes. back in the day. Yeah. Albie is played by Mark McDonnell, who uh, did quite a few early big finishes and sounds a little bit like Steve Pemberton from time to time. And Suze is played by Sarah Mowitz, who is in The Sirens of Time, and mm-hmm. a few other big finishes. But I, I, as, as leads, I think they're good enough actors to, mm. to, to kind of guide you through the whole thing. So they rush back to the city to try and find out what's going on, but all long range transmissions are down, so they can only get local broadcasts, and a local broadcast is interrupted by a Dalek announcing that the Vega system is now part of the Dalek Empire. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, what do we think of this intro to the Daleks and also how they sound in this?
1: It's interesting hearing it now because we've kind of we've been overloaded by Daleks and yeah. big finish. Probably have a Dalek release once a month. It feels like that in terms right, of yeah, the, something like there's that. a lot of them, and so it's odd listening to it now because it's so restrained, mm. as in they're there but they're not quite a presence, and there's quite a slow build up to them coming. Mm. And the thing that I found was that this the sense of dread and threat just builds and builds because it it opens like it could be any Doctor Who story, yeah. and the fact that the Doctor doesn't turn up is what suddenly you reach a point where you're like oh god things are just going to get worse.
0: Yeah. I mean this is a problem with this and all doctor who spin-offs is like where is the doctor? Yeah. You know? What 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 was he doing this month? Mm. Or the, oh these two years. It's weird hearing dalek voices pre new series cuz they're obviously they've they've I didn't notice the difference. Oh I did. Yeah. It there were more kind of I'd say slightly more somewhere between Planet of the Daleks and Evil of the Daleks, rather than they're okay. not quite as booming as they as they have been. And it's, it's the Emperor is, yeah, the Emperor is. But the Emperor always sounds great. There's always also the fact that they just don't have that movement sound for Daleks yet. So quite yeah. often throughout it, people announce like mm. at least in the old series, they'll be yeah. like, "Supreme Dalek on the bridge, yeah. three Daleks go here, go there," mm. um, because they they move silently. It's interesting because the in, their introduction's effective as well, mm. but. I suppose what I think is the ultimate introduction to the Daleks is at the beginning of Stolen Earth, mm. where they're just their booming voices mm. and all that music, but it's it's done subtler. Yeah, it reminded
1: me of War of the Worlds in yeah. terms of the, the 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 pod kind of crashing on yeah. on the Common. Like it just it's 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 what, is it
0: a ship or it's one Dalek crashes? I'm not sure, but it's it's. Oh, a... I thought it was an Earth ship. Was it? Yeah, it's like something gets destroyed in a battle and crashes. Yeah. So, Albie knows of the Daleks and says they need to get off world, but Suze needs to go and find a family, so they sort of have a bit of a row. Then the Daleks lay cities to waste, bombarding the planet, scorching the land. The weak and the wounded are exterminated. They start robotising people, and the Daleks drill through the crust of the planet because the Daleks are nothing if not predictable. What do we think about this plan?
1: I wasn't really even following it, Hmm. in terms of it just felt... I feel like there's a lot of tension in the fact that... You're just waiting for everybody to be killed. Yeah. Because there's there's just a real sense of doom and gloom in the atmosphere that you don't... I didn't really particularly care why they were there or what they were doing. Mm. It was I was more just wrapped up in the atmosphere of... The more time passes, the more you become... It's really effective in that the more time passes and the more the doctors doesn't turn up, mm. there's this sense of, oh, this is just how things are now. Yeah. Like, we're all enslaved and could die at any point, which is this surprisingly effective
0: and they set it over months and months and months Mm. so it's not it's not although the storytelling is quite quick Mm. you get the impression that people are just downtrodden and defeated but i also think briggs has thought about kind of the military the military strategy of the daleks so it is a bit Daleks invasion of earth and Mm. a bit destiny of the daleks as well but he's trying to make it on a bigger sci-fi scale it's kind of an audio version, a little bit in this first part, of how I think people would have liked Destiny of the Daleks to look instead mm. of just looking a bit, you know, 1970s recession. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Which is an
1: aesthetic that's coming back. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Very true. While Albie goes off and gets drunk on a spaceship and.
1: Oh, wait, sorry, I've got a point there. Yeah? Talking of the aesthetic, what I remember clearly from this was that this was when, I don't know if they still do it, because I don't read Doctor Who e magazine anymore, mm. but they would always release a small, like, three comic strip panels yeah. to promote any big finish no, audio. They don't, they don't do that anymore. So I remember listening to this, and then seeing the comic strip panel afterwards, and it was so odd, because I just listened to the audio and took it as it was. And then the illustrations that I think um, Martin Gerhardt drew for it, right. Has everyone in kind of retro seventies, sixties, Dalek comic ah. outfits? And I remember being really shocked, being like, "Oh, that's the kind of world this is meant to be set in." Because in that... my head, everyone just kind of looks.
0: I suppose the, the cover design by Clayton Hickman's quite sort of seventy I mean, a bit he, retro. Yeah, he based it on uh, a post the poster designer who did lots of film things like Clockwork Orange mm. and stuff like that. But so
1: because I always imagine it being a lot more contemporary. But yeah, the, I remember too. the promotional imagery was was like everyone's. You know, people are wearing like. Green visors and yeah. it's a bit more it, 60s.
0: Yeah, that's a good point because I do I do mm. not think of them in no trashy pulpy sci-fi outfits. So Alby goes off and gets drunk on a spaceship uh, and reveals himself to be a spy. Suze gets the short end of the stick. She's a slave of the Daleks, where she meets this old geezer who's given up on the idea of survival. She helps him to the slave pen, and a Dalek realises she's helping him and tells Suze to leave him alone, presumably to exterminate him. But Suze refuses. She's broken by everything, so stands up to the Daleks. And the Dalek doesn't exterminate her. Instead, he reports her defiance to the Dalek Supreme and is ordered to let her live. Now, this old guy is Carlendorf. Carl, for short. Mm. Uh, a former Knight of Valicia, played by Gareth Thomas of Blake 7th fame. Now, you're a Blake 7th fan. Yes. What do you think of him here? Is he any different from Blake?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of it like that. I just thought it's Gareth Thomas. Yeah. I guess he could be like an older Blake. Yeah. Or maybe even Blake from the final story, yeah. called Blake. Ah. Where he's a lot more downtrodden and world weary and... You're not quite sure whether he's a goodie or a baddie. Mm. So I guess it could be the same. But has
0: as Carl and appeared in the big Finnish main range? He shows up not in the main range, but I think there's like a subscriber special where the seventh Doctor and Carl meet. So
1: Right. Ah the in the Sirens of Time there's a Knight of Alicia, but it's not. Ah. It's not Gareth Thomas, is it? It's another guy. I don't think so. Yeah.
0: We also get John Wadmore of BBV fame and Nick Briggs show up. John plays Pellan, who's the guy that's sort of stuck with mm. um, Albie, and mm. Nick Briggs plays the head of Earth Security, Tanley, mm. which is a good Terry Nation sort of name, isn't it? Yeah. The Daleks try to work everyone to death, and an angry and exhausted Suze confronts the Daleks and tells them people need rest and food. Did the Daleks not know this already? Well, I quite... Enjoyed that because
1: it well they should know this already. Mm. Um, I mean they fed Victoria. They fed, it, in the first episode oh, they yeah. fed, they, <laughs> they feed the Doctor and his companions. But it's kind it does make them more alien mm. by the fact that they just have no idea how we function. Yeah, I like I actually enjoyed that even if it makes no continuity sense. It
0: doesn't make a huge amount of sense, but there's some nice moments here. We get like a, a Robo Man that's exhausted, and the mm. Daleks don't understand why. Mm just basically collapses yeah I Uh, prefer I prefer that
1: approach up to be honest yeah Um, because it's it's they they really seem like almost like like children without empathy yeah they're just like why why can't you just keep keep working
0: yeah and her confronting the Dalek is well handled and you also get that nice moment where Carl asks what what's so important about her work and she's like oh, I can't tell you it's classified and they both start laughing um, which is a quite a nice human moment. And mm. then obviously the Dalek gets annoyed because they don't like laughing. Yeah. So Suze and the Dalek Supreme become a bit pally and he uses her as a representative and basically invents a workers' union. Because yes. uh, this is sort of how the unions mm. got started in the Industrial Revolution. Mm. And it's at this point we learn that Carl can read people's minds. So Suze and him catch a bit of a plan, but we don't know what that is, while Suze starts talking to people and giving them hope. That's kind of the main thrust of the episode. Mm. I love there's a big time jump on her big speech at the end, so we get the headlines mm. without it repeating it. And then, just to finish off the episode, Albie's ship is attacked and destroyed by Daleks. Him and Pellen escape, and Pellen tells Albi he overheard some chatter on the Dalek network uh, about Susan Mendes, which somewhat flummoxes mm. Albie.
1: The Dalek Network. (laughs) I don't know why I'm immediately thinking of
0: something like Babe Station with Daleks. (laughs) Coming soon from Big (laughs) Finish Audios. Now, I think it's important to also say that the whole thing is narrated by what we presume to be an older Suze, which is a lady called Joyce Gibbs. Yeah. But, you know, more of that later, I reckon. Yeah. How does this first one stand up 20 years later?
1: It sets up the main kind of thrust of the first series which is about mm. someone, Susie's character, discovering that the Daleks want her to give the other slaves hope to yeah. make them more efficient. Yeah. And the kind of whether is she is she collaborating, is she is she being good or bad for having done that, which I find quite interesting.
0: I was a little taken aback that it wasn't quite the sprawling sci-fi epic, action epic, I remember. But then also, it's important to note, it's 21 years old, Yeah. and uh, to do something, another podcast guest Michael Mills did previously, it's as old now as Mm. The Leisure Hive would have been at the time of this audio release, Mm. so it's naive of me not to expect it to have aged in Mm. any way, shape or form. It's not quite as action-packed as I remembered. Yeah. The human drama at the heart of it doesn't always work, but it's mainly their relationship, I think, at the moment. Mm. The, the subjugation is fine, and I would say it's it's a little bit more Deep Space Nine than Battlestar Galactica. If I was, mm. if if I'm kind was, of looking for contemporary reference points,
1: was when was Battlestar Galactica the remake? That was um, a couple
0: of years. It was the same time as the new series, so okay, we were sort of four or five years off.
1: Because it feel it it feels like there isn't a template for this to follow yeah. in terms of it's a spin off of doctor who for the adult grown up mm-hmm. fans of yeah. doctor who um and it's kind of a midpoint between doing interesting things like politically and philosophically yeah. but also not quite having it's still it's still following the, the tropes of kind of capture and escape of old doctor who yeah. and it doesn't have an example from from either the new series or shows like Battlestar Galactica yeah, to help it. Definitely. Which is why I'm really interested to see how it changes over the other series mm, as it gets as it develops. Too. But it feels like a very kind of mixed first series.
0: Yeah, so uh, trivia. Hmm. Big finish has been going for a few years. Hmm. Gary Russell was the, produ- the, the head producer in charge. He went on holiday and Nick Briggs pitched this to straight to Jason Hay Gallery because he didn't think Gary would like it. So, yeah. <laughs> so he pitched it straight there and he commissioned it while... Was on holiday, mm. do the Daleks feel menacing uh, like a menacing threat?
1: I think they do, yeah, yeah. Me too. I think, uh, but it's more the atmosphere that the series builds up, yeah, is what makes them threatening. They're
0: an oppressive force, yes. in a way that I don't think you quite feel they are on TV, yeah, like as a kid, or at least I didn't.
1: And also, this is like the character of the Doctor with the new series has been changed in this to this idea that if he turns up everybody will be alright Yeah, and that didn't exist here so the Daleks turn up and lots of people die yeah. and they're not going to get reset which, yeah. is, which makes them more threatening
0: I, They're also very manipulative which I think you lose in the 80s, I think you get that in the, the 60s mm. but they're an oppressive, manipulative just interesting force and like, yeah. they feel like they will come to your planet and fuck shit up
1: yeah and as it develops there's just so much paranoia Mm. of not knowing who is a Dalek agent and who isn't
0: yeah 100% should we move on to the second one the second one is The Human Factor, which was released on the 6th of August 2001, recorded on the 3rd of June 2001 at the Moat Studios. Also out at the time, the 8th Doctor adventure was The Year of the Intelligent Tiger, the TV movie was on DVD, The Sunmakers was on VHS and Big Finish released The Audio Companions Talkback, interviews with India Fisher, Maggie Staples and Lisa Bowerman. The BBC released the abominable snowman soundtrack. Other big finish releases: Lou Guru, Dust Breeding. The comic strip was the Eighth Doctor story, Flower Power. And those are the main releases at the time. Anything, you, anything you want to big up? Anything you um, love in there? The Year of
1: Intelligent Tigers is a really good book. Is it? By I think it's by Jacqueline Rayner.
0: Yeah, I didn't put the terribly. I didn't put that there. I think it's by her. Uh,
1: no. Was it? No, no, no. It's by Kate Allman, right? Um, and I think it's about the. The Doctor spends like a year living on this planet full of talking, intelligent tigers, and he plays violin to them. <laughs> I remember really enjoying it, and I can also tell you nothing about what happens in it. But yeah. Kate Orman is a terrific writer, so...
0: Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure it's good. I would like to revisit that, potentially. Doctor Who News at the time. Telos Publishing announced their first Doctor Who novella, Kim Newman's Time and Relative, which was the first Doctor Who story officially approved by the BBC to be set before the TV series. It was also announced Lisa Loven would be doing some illustrations for the forthcoming Death Comes to Time pilot being broadcast on the internet. And <laughs> on the 19th of June edition of Channel Fjord's uh, betting show Bonsai, Peter Davison was asked out of which three doctors he would choose to have sex with if the Daleks invaded Earth. Can you guess who it was? Tom Baker? No, Sylvester McCoy. Who would have thunk him?
1: Yeah, he is fit. <laughs> he can do things with ferrets
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and spoons.
0: Yeah, and that's what that's what Peter was after. The story picks up six months later and the Garrison mines are at 110% efficiency thanks to Suze. The Daleks get her to travel the galaxy to give everyone hope, but Carl calls her out on it. She's the only Dalek slave who volunteered for the position and those words hurt her. What do we think of Carl and Suze's relationship? I Yeah, I like it a lot.
1: I think that's the, the, like, the best thing about this series because yeah. it throws up lots of philosophical questions bizarrely this year mm. i read a book called it's called man's search for meaning and it's by an auschwitz um former auschwitz prisoner right. and it's kind of bizarrely <laughs> relates to a lot of the subject of this i, know I can see that um but that he was a psychiatrist who was imprisoned mm. and so uh and obviously they were you know it was a Concentration camp, so they were forced to work Hmm. and to like make railway lines and do construction, Um, and it was all about how the prisoners found their meaning. Right. And so a lot of it was his his observations about life there, Um, and the 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 premise of his kind of thesis is that you can endure any 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 kind of pain or torment if you can take meaning from it.
0: Right. I get that with a lot of big (laughs) fences. It's an
1: incredible book, and it's a very important book to humanity. Yeah, I don't know whether comparing it to *Dalek Empire* is the wisest <laughs> move, um, but it's it's talking about how people like derive meaning, and it's very very interesting. Yeah, so in, in *Dalek Empire*, she's giving the prisoners hope so that it will be more efficient workers. But she's also, you know, yeah, she, she's she's like a, a union rep in that she gets more food and rest for the workers. Yeah, and Karlendorf is essentially there. As her friend, but is also the only person who's saying you're you're essentially a collaborator. Yeah, and is always kind of making her feel uncomfortable. And it's and it and it does go into interesting territory as to whether they're, you know, whether they are or almost essentially the enemy. Yeah, by doing what they're doing. So it's it's a good I think it's a good dramatic premise for two characters.
0: Yeah. I buy their relationship more because there's no kind of hint of. Like a sexual history or anything like that than her and Albie's, mm. it's just you know they're uneasy bedfellows essentially. Like they wouldn't be mates IRL. Yeah. <laughs> they but here they are thrown into this situation that neither of them ever thought they'd be being. Mm. Um, what do you
1: think of how the Daleks use Sue's? It's interesting because they, they obviously, they've obviously got a broader plan for her, mm. and you never quite know what that is. Yeah, there's a scene where I think it's in the first episode where they they show her a clip of her wanting to die. And then once they've kind of fed her and given her some rest, they show the clip again and like, oh, so you don't want to die now. Yeah. And it's really interesting because it is it is the properly alien species figuring out what makes another species tick. Yeah. Um, And
0: learning how to exploit that.
1: Yes, yeah, and I think that's really effective mm. and interesting. It's odd cuz they they they're never empathizing with her. Mm. They're just kind of prodding and poking and seeing what works to get yeah. what they want, which I think is very effective.
0: Yeah. So, the slaves on a Gariza, on Garazone's moon K5000 are refusing to work. A young hothead called Marebi has heard Carlendorf's telepathic telepathic message, which he's basically been going around sowing seeds mm. of revolution in people's minds but that people are supposed to wait for this planned rebellion but he's acted far too soon so carl goes to deal with it and he's soon followed by the daleks and suze this is one of the best bits of the series for me i Mm. really enjoyed this scene despite the fact that murebe is just nick briggs with a french accent yes yeah i think it's a cool you really start to see life under the uh, under like an oppressive dalek force and they've burnt bunch of Robo Men. Mm. They've got this Dalek that they smashed up and are torturing, and Marebi's just gone fucking mad because mm. he, you know, he's really happy that he's done this. Yeah. But then Carl's like, "What are you mm. like? How many people died just trying to do this to mm. get kill one Dalek?" Mm. So anyway, the Daleks show up, and Suze goes in to speak to them, and you mm. don't hear the conversation, and then the Daleks under Suze's sort of instruction kill Marebi and his men and indeed the person that reported it mm. because if they were going to get inter- if any of those people got interrogated mm. they would eventually find out what Suze and mm. Carl were planning which is a fucking savage moment mm. what this series looks at a lot is what people will go to to survive and to fight back and stuff like that so it's really it's just quite a grim grim moment for me of the reality of life under a Dalek oppression. Mm. Uh, meanwhile, Albie and Pelin come out of hypersleep, they get attacked by Daleks and descend into the planet Gurier's atmosphere to contact some rebels, but are soon captured by Daleks. Do we think it's um the planet's named after Brian? Right? Simon Gurier. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. Uh we also learn a little bit about Project Infinity starts getting mentioned, which will become important later. Gurian rebels are giving the Daleks some shit, and the Earth Alliance are heading there, so we meet the Gurian Highness and daughter. The Highness is played by Adrian Lloyd James in his only big finish role, and the daughter is played by Georgia- Georgina Carter, who's also in Jubilee. Now these are two interesting characters that yeah get thrown in.
1: Yeah, so they turn up laughing all the time. Yeah and at first you think they've just gone mad mm. and the Dalek oppression but then it turns out they're just winding the Daleks up <laughs> but it goes on far too fucking long it that does. scene
0: I, he, he reminded me a little bit of either Christopher Biggins or mm. um, what's the from the Celestial Tour Yaru. what um, <laughs> you know <laughs> Billy Bunter the Billy Bunter rip off yeah. yeah so Guria have one of the most ineffectual workforces because that I guess they're trying to portray them as a work of pompous idiots, but they're not. They're just trying to wind people up and irritate the Daleks. You think there's
1: planets named after every Doctor Who writer?
0: Yes. Dix Minor. Yeah. Planet (laughs)
1: Roberts. People aren't
0: allowed to go there anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. Very true. As the Earth Alliance attacks, the Highness is killed. Albie and Pellin are taken to the control room, and the Earth forces are actually winning. Albie briefly sees Suze on a screen... Susan and Albie are separated again, and the Dalek Supreme starts discussing Suze's humanity uh, to find out what Albie means to her. This is
1: what I found interesting because in the book I read, mm. uh, the the psychiatrist in this camp would have sessions with with prisoners that were despairing. They'd say, and then who didn't want to live. They'd go through with, come on, you've got to. There must be one person you can think of in the world mm. that will. Um, yeah that you you should live for whether they're alive or dead can you think of one person that will want you to remain alive mm. um and so that's what i found interesting in that the world's gone to shit but they they both well albie is essentially living for Sue's yeah in a way even though it's clearly there's not even really a relationship there yeah so that kind of made sense but it only works if they finally meet and they're like Oh we've actually got nothing in common. Yeah. Like, um there's
0: always that danger. It's like internet dating when you get on with someone really well and you're messaging loads and then you actually meet them in real life and you're like Ugh.
1: Yeah. But in 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 this in this book the account was that prisoners would go home and after being, you know, freed mm. and suddenly the the people that they've been living for might have moved on or remarried. Yeah, of course. So they had to face up to that. That's um, horrible.
0: Yeah, anyway, that's a big finish. <laughs> but... <laughs> Daleks are real bastards though, aren't they? They are. They are, yeah. We also get a bunch of cutaways to like the big battles, which I don't think work quite as effectively on audio, but there you go. Days later, Albie wakes up to find the Daleks have lost, but he's lost his legs. The Daleks attack again after regrouping. Pellan and Albie escape in a Dalek saucer, which is picked up by the Earth Alliance forces. The Earth soldiers cut through the bulkhead, and as Albie and Pellan try to explain that they're not Daleks and they're on the same side, the soldiers open fire. Yeah. Anything more to say on part two?
1: No. I'm just glad that the Daleks will always have saucers. Yes. That's just firmly established. They will never have any other type of ship.
0: No. Because oh. they're
1: such a retro design, they will always need to have a flying saucer.
0: A hundred percent. And I think that was one of the smart moves Ross C. Davis did when bringing about the show. was like, mm. they're fucking flying saucers. Yeah. So part three... Death to the Daleks, exclamation mark, was released on the 29th of October 2001 and recorded on the 2nd of September 2001 at the Moat Studios. Ark in Space was due to get new effects for the DVD release and BBC Online confirmed that Death Comes to Time would be completed in the first half of the next year with 15 10-minute episodes to be webcast once a week. Also, Peter Davison in the news again, what Mm. a guy. He'd just come home from filming a day's work on The Last Detective when he was disturbed by the sound of his car alarm. He rushed to see a thief running off with his video camera on which he had captured the birth of his son Joel just the day before. Davison gave chase in his Chrysler Cruiser, cornering the 15-year-old robber in a dead end and then made a citizen's arrest until the police came. That's
1: why Peter Davison is the best Doctor Who. Exactly. Colin Baker couldn't do that.
0: (laughs) Not late 90s, Colin. No. Out on DVD was Vengeance on Varos. Also from real time, an Englishman on Gallifrey. The Eighth Doctor, Fitz and Angie, were uh, in the book Dark Progeny. Big Finish released the sixth Doctor and Evelyn story, Project Twilight, and the past Doctor story was Bullet Time by David A. McKinty, featuring the seventh Doctor and Sarah Jane Smith, On well, the comic strip was the eighth Doctor story, The Witches. Anything you want to say about those?
1: Bullet Time, I think, is about Sarah Jane meeting the seventh Doctor and her being kind of um, repulsed by how he's turned into this kind of manipulative, darker version of the Doctor.
0: Interesting. So, it's a it's like a school reunion, but bad.
1: Yes, yeah. But that was a that was quite a common thread yeah. because that happened again in um, Dark Fusion. Is essentially about the Fifth Doctor being ashamed of the Seventh Doctor's yeah. behaviour. Cold Fusion. Cold Fusion. Yeah. And then um, the Sarah Jane Smith series is very dour as well. Yeah, it's very. Um, it is. There's none of the. There's none of the heroism of the CBBC series. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Nobody in the 90s and the noughties wanted any of the Doctor Who companions to have a happy ending. Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially Dodo, who died of syphilis, was it, or something like that? Mm. Oh, I thought it was an alien STD. Same thing. Yeah. So, Earth Security, Kill Pellin. who it turns out is a Dalek spy, and Albie is reunited with his boss, Tanley, once again, played by Nicholas Briggs, and who says the word, Volisha. In a yes. very interesting way. Yeah. And it,
1: it, people Pelin is a Dalek agent and we didn't know it. I think that's quite that was quite a cool twist. Yeah,
0: I'd forgotten that as well.
1: Yes. And do you think do you think the actual agents that represent like Nicholas Briggs and <laughs> Nicholas Pegg call themselves Dalek agents? <laughs>
0: I'm sure they do.
1: Uh,
0: I much prefer this version of Dalek Agents than the ones where Moffat has like a thing coming out of their head and then a gun coming out of their hand. That's very silly. Yeah, which just doesn't make sense. Yes. Not like everything else in Doctor Who, which is perfectly believable. The Daleks have finished mining Vega Knight from Vega 6, so they, they scoot off to the Lopari system, where Project Destiny awaits... The Earth Alliance forces retreat, leaving Gurrier to the Daleks because they just. they basically just ran off to regroup, didn't they? And it really feels like things are heating up at this point. It's revealed that the Knights of Valicia are one of the Daleks' bitterest enemies. Don't remember that. Don't remember that being a thing? No. Back in the day, but they. uh, in fact, before the invasion, the Earth Alliance was due to negotiate with the Knights to form an anti Dalek alliance. Tanley is worried that Suze has given away details of Project Infinity. Now you said there was a night of volley shot yeah in uh a a of time. time yeah. These stories do relate to other Dalek stories like
1: Yeah, yeah, all of the all of the initial Big Finish Dalek stories have this odd continuity in terms of their first debut at Big Finish was the Genocide Machine. Yeah. And so them, where they steal files from the Karsherat library. Yes. And they kind of inform, they use that information to then, they do something in the mutant phase, but I'm not sure what it is. And then they use that information to invade Gallifrey in the apocalypse element.
0: The only one of those I remember well is the apocalypse element. The others, I could not tell you what happens in them.
1: Yeah, that was pretty full on. The apocalypse element at the time, considering the time war is now a big thing. The Daleks evading Gallifrey was pretty... insane yeah
0: i remember it feeling like the most most epic version of doctor who that it could possibly be yeah Uh, i'm sure going back to it it would probably feel slightly dated years pass and the dalek advance across the galaxy continues thanks to suze the slave labor forces work at peak efficiency showing no hint of rebellion do we think suze is getting a bit big for her boots at this point
1: yes yeah but i think it's believable yeah as a, as a collaborator, that you would feel kind mm. of different and other. Um, I I, this is part three. This is part three, yeah. to my, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, this was this was kind of this had my best, my favourite bits in it of mm. um, the characterisation of her and Carlendorf mm. and how you would go a bit crazy. And I think I I like that idea of people becoming a bit crazy around the Daleks because they're so. They, they lack in so much emotion and are so inhuman mm. that you kind of project what you want onto them. Yeah. And that's like quite a common thing in in other Dalek stories. And yeah. I think it is it is quite believable.
0: Mm. So you get that scene where Suze kicks a Dalek out of the office for talking back and she goes, mm. I only deal with the Dalek Supreme. And Carl's mm. like, be care. But she just lashes out sensing is almost resentment, I think.
1: Yes. Which, yeah.
0: It's a bit odd. Do you think Suze actually believes that the Daleks trust her?
1: I think it's just wanting to survive and you know using what power you can you know whether it's whether it's based on truth or not yeah there's a scene where Karlendorf wants to telepathically talk with her and she says no yeah and I found that interesting because it's almost the equivalent of like a married couple not wanting to have sex because yeah. like it's this idea that it's such an intimate thing to do yeah but um they're both kind of worn down from years of of working for the Daleks that they just can't do it anymore
0: yeah yeah. Suze and Karlendorf are brought before the Supreme Controller of the Daleks, which demands to know what Karlendorff's purpose is. The Daleks have spotted him mingling with other slaves without speaking to them. Karlendorff claims that they are praying for the fall of the Daleks. Suze continues to be obstructive until the Daleks exterminate some slaves that were doing some work for her. So we think their their plans rumbled a little bit, mm. but it's not. But what happens next? The solar system and Earth falls to the Daleks. Dun-dun-dun! Mm. And the President's last instruction is to put Tanley in charge of all surviving Earth forces. Tanley's first act is to contact the Project Director of Project Destiny, Aspelius, in the Lapara system. This alien shit lost me a little bit. It's
1: fucking awful. It's really bad. (laughs) That's what's odd about this episode, is that the the scenes with Suze and Carlendorf get quite dark and, Mm. you know, loaded with a lot of drama and psychology. And at the same time, they then chuck in lots of aliens with silly voices and it goes on for a long time.
0: It's all a bit Attack of the Clones for me. Yeah. Where you've got... where Which character is it? Is it... I think it's Obi-Wan, goes off to this planet where there's a whole race of clones being built by some silly aliens and mm. it just it just feels a bit like it's pulled directly... Which I guess is the best reference point you've kind of got at that mm. point is the Star Wars prequel mm. things. Um, so yeah, Aspelius and stuff like that doesn't really do it for me, but mm. they don't stick around long, so it's fine. So the Daleks plan to broadcast uh, a a broadcast like a galaxy wide broadcast of Suze to speak to the slaves. Albi and Mirana, who was initially sent to arrest Albi, head to Yaldos where Suze is to make her speech. Marina is a late addition to the cast played by Teresa Gallagher, who is also in the fifth Doctor Story Snow. I don't really feel like she needs to be there. Like she's got a plot point later on. Mm. But she doesn't really add anything to me. She's fine performance, but yeah. I, don't, I, ju- I just feel like it's adding another character f- almost for the sake of it. Isn't she still a big part of, of the second series? Maybe she is. I think she is. Okay, that explains it. But in this particular run, I couldn't, I wasn't really, mm. I was like, oh, she, you know, she's doing nothing that Albie wasn't doing. Mm. It's like they killed Albie and they went, well, we need to give him somebody to talk to. Mm. No, it's not Albie, Pelan. Well, she she does have a big role in the last episode. She does. She does. She's a traitor. Yeah. There's lots of traitors in this. Not traitors, but lots of Dalek. One part of me is like, oh, there's a bunch of people that are secretly controlled by the Daleks. Is that a cool idea? Or are they just re- rehashing the same plot point again and again and again?
1: I, I really liked what they did with her in the last episode where the the Emperor is in her mind. Yeah. And I feel like, I don't know if I'm remembering this, but I think that becomes a big... Plot right. points, yeah, she's... because she can hear Dalek transmissions, mm. and because...
0: the, the Emperor itself almost goes insane. Yes, yeah. which is, and that's some of the that, that stuff's really effective. Mm. But we'll come to episode four shortly. Mm. So, in the Lopara system, Project Director Aspelius obeys Tanley's directives and gives the order for the Infinity Scan's test run. The Emperor speaks to Suze for the first time and tells her she has reached the end of her long journey. And you start to think they know exactly what Suze is up to. Suze makes her broadcast, and there is a massive uprising to the rallying cry of death to the Daleks. Albi and uh, Mirana land on Yaldos, where the rebellion has been a success, but Suze has been killed. Great cliffhanger. It is a great cliffhanger. And also,
1: could you believe it? Because at this point in the series, you know it's not the same universe as Doctor Yeah, The main characters can die.
0: Yeah, you've been wrong footed by the narrator Mm. who you assume to be a young, an older Suze. Yes. But actually, it's not. But we'll come to her in a moment. So, the final story of this series is Project Infinity, released on the 21st of January 2002. There was no news at the time, there wasn't even a Gallifrey Guardian in the DWM. The comic strip running was the eighth Doctor story, Children of the Revolution. The 8th Doctor book was The Adventurers of Henrietta Street by Lawrence Miles, Mm. and the past Doctor book was Instruments of Darkness by Gary Russell featuring the 6th Doctor, Melanie Bush and Evelyn Smythe, also Big Finish had just released *Colditz* with the 2nd Doctor and Ace and the first appearance of Klein, and a book called Doctor Who On Location came out which was a big thick tome and basically a location guide which would now just be a website. Anything there? You, we've talked about The yeah. Adventures of Henrietta Street before. Yeah. I remember quite liking Colbitts, and it's also notable for having a, a young actor called David Tennant in it.
1: Mm, yeah. yeah. Have you covered Children of the Revolution on this?
0: No. Not yet. It's a good one, that. Yeah. Good one. Three months since the Rebellion, it's going well. Karlendorf thinks it's going too well. And the Daleks are up to something. He also spots an, insign- an insignificant little Dalek ship going to the Lopra system which, in itself, is an insignificant system. Also headed there is Tanley, who has come to oversee the final stages of Project Infinity. But Albie thinks he can hear Suze's voice. Dorf and Marana find him on a mountain range where they discover Suze has transferred her memories into one of the legendary Seers of Yaldos. Mm-hmm. So she they basically link psychically together, don't they? And she is the person that's narrating the story. Yes, yeah. What do we think of that? It made me think
1: uh, of of Nick Nick Briggs. This is written by Nick Briggs. Yeah, yeah. It made me think of uh, Nick Briggs, the same Nick Briggs that wrote Creatures of Beauty. He's still kind of interested in the order in which stories are told. Yeah. Rather than just doing the same story again and again. <laughs> I think no, I like I like that as a kind of. I like I like that as a plot twist and, mm. you know, kind of wrong footing the order of how it's told. Because it is odd because in the, the the first scene of them together there's just the two of them mm. on this boat and the woman's narrating it so you go it could only be Suze. Yeah. So I think it's a neat twist.
0: He does he does a bit of that in this particularly this episode. A lot of the stuff that happens in three that we're told about, you mm. actually see like Suze's death you don't actually see or mm. you don't actually hear in three. You just hear what's afterwards and then you hear her speech mm. in this one and her dying. Um, which I think is good storytelling and I think, as you say, he's interested in changing the narrative a bit and not just mm. doing straight forward storytelling. So, the Emperor Daleks expected Susan's betrayal and already knew Project Infinity. Ald- Albie also clings onto the idea that nobody found Susie's body despite loads of people seeing her killed. They all bugger off to the Lopra system because of Project Infinity.
1: You're forgetting the most important bit, which what? is that he leave- she leaves a jar of pickled onions. Oh, there of course, yes. Chekhov's pickled onions. For Albie to find. Yeah. Can you imagine, like, pickled onions being the thing that, that, that reminds you of someone that
0: you love? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Pickled onions are the sort of thing that when you've been together for 50 years and you get divorced, and they go, and they fucking ate pickled onions all yeah. the time.
1: Yeah, It's yeah. like, like the, toilet seat's, <laughs> the toilet seat's still
0: up. He's, she's somewhere on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> so, they all bugger off to the Lopra system because with that's where shit's going down. It's revealed that Marina is a Dalek agent that is linked to the Emperor Dalek, as we said before, mm. but they sedate her, and deactivate, the. they think they've de- deactivated the link but they haven't and she realises that she could essentially uh, access not only the Emperor but the Dalek attack at yeah. work
1: the, the, the scene of her being taken over by the Emperor and this kind of battle taking place I think is one of the best scenes in terms of the direction in that it's it phases from the characters in one location to, mm. the, to the Daleks listening in mm. with all this other kind of psychic Dialogue and turmoil happening, yeah. and it just works. There's no, yeah. there's no awkward exposition or anything no, like that.
0: It's really good, and to hear the, it's the first time you hear the Daleks kind of under threat in this as well.
1: Yes, uh, that that was the most exciting scene in mm-hmm. the whole thing, I thought, and it's also it's an example of when Big Finish get audio drama right, in that you you can visualise all this happening without anybody saying anything clumsy. Yeah, having said that. Back in episode three, there's a terrible, 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 terrible scene <laughs> where um, Marana yeah. meets Albie for the first time and she goes, I'm pointing a gun. And then he goes, in at the back of my head, you got <laughs> it. And it's done. They do that scene twice with the same dialogue where they oh. flip it. But, but, the whole point, is that actually? That's how you would talk because they're in spacesuits, so you've got no peripheral peripheral vision. Okay, and if you, yeah. and then if, if you load a gun, you can't hear it. So, on the one hand, it's entirely realistic. Yeah. And also, it implies that actually, anybody who goes into space, whether you're an astronaut, you end up talking like a big finish character.
0: <laughs> but it it's still sounds ring. awful. Yeah, it's true that they all say that. Yeah, that Tim Peake said it. He said yeah. big finish syndrome. They call it. <laughs> The Daleks have Project Infinity, and Carl's troop attack them, and thanks to the link between Marana and the Dalek attack network, the human troops were able to be one step ahead of everybody, but everybody there has been killed apart from Tanley, who is suddenly revealed to be another Dalek agent. Mm Dun-dun-dun... Classic Nick Briggs. This bit as well, there's a lot of battles and stuff like that, which I would have been a little bit like, it would be nice for us to have some visuals. Yeah. But... It's
1: a bit, it's almost like if Terry Nation was capture and escape, in this it's, uh, I'm a traitor. Yeah. It's just... A... He's a traitor, she's a traitor.
0: We're all traitors. Yeah. So he basically pulls a gun on them, and then the Daleks arrive, and their plans revealed. They want to use the Vega Knight to power Project Infinity to find a bridge to a dimension where the Daleks rule supreme, and it turns out that the whole invasion of the galaxy mm. was just a massive distraction, essentially. And they let the rebellion happen. They knew about it. Mm. Because they would then go unseen towards Project Infinity. I mean, obviously they needed the Vega Knight, but they could have just invaded the Vega system. Mm. Do do we buy that as a big ploy?
1: I mean, it's all made up, isn't it? <laughs> It makes me think of Death Comes to Time where yeah. um, Tannis's plot is all a distraction. Is, is, yeah. He invades the universe to distract the Time Lords from the fact that he's hmm. doing other things.
0: Well, no, that's not it, though, is it? He does it because the Time Lords won't stop him if he doesn't use his powers. Yeah. Um, oh, fucked it. I don't know anything it. about Doctor Who. No, it's rubbish. I know about the Holocaust and art. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear But you don't know your your Doctor (laughs) Who spin-offs anymore Where have you been? (laughs) Um, (laughs) So Project Infinity The humans were going to use it To find a a universe where the humans defeat the Daleks And find out how they did it So it looks at all the alternative timelines The Daleks use it because they want to find out Where the Daleks are the supreme race And they find it, a universe and we get some slightly high-pitched Daleks mm. um, make contact, mm. but when those Daleks show up, they're absolutely horrified to mm. find that the uh, all the atrocities the Daleks have committed in this universe, which are the ultimate crimes, yes, because in their universe the Daleks are keepers of the peace, yeah, um, and protect people, so the alternate Daleks attempt to neutralise the evil Daleks of our universe who open fire to protect the Emperor, and soon a battle is ranging between the Daleks of this universe and the Daleks of the other. Mm. That's a good cliffhanger. That's a great ending, yeah. And at this point you go, oh this is part of a much bigger story, and there are three more series of it. What's what's your overall thoughts on this now? Well, I, I enjoyed
1: it greatly. I think but it's very much just of its time in that it doesn't have it doesn't have a dramatic template to copy yeah you know it's it's almost like it's 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 a version of like the Dalek comics done on a slightly bigger scale yeah and but you know by a writer who is interested in exploring um, bits of psychology and how the characters behave in certain situations yeah. but he doesn't have quite enough to to you know, it's not it's not a love story, despite no. it being about two characters. No. Trying to to reach
0: each other. It's 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 a ooh, it's lightning outside. <laughs> um, it's a pulpy space opera mm. with tried to be brought up to date, which is twenty one years ago. Mm. Of how you might do a sci fi story, but it's not it's not like a big sexy. And sexy sounds like a weird. Thing to say, but if you are doing it now, yeah, the love interest and like well, the the romantic side of it would be played played more. you, yeah. you know, well,
1: uh, like the like Albie goes and gets drunk when he's depressed. Yeah, and the characters, you know, love each other. Yeah, and so it, at times it it does it can be adult, and other times it isn't. Yeah, it's a very kind of family friendly but very grim dour series.
0: Yeah. Do you think it had an influence on how Russell T. Davis wrote the Daleks in the new series? Well, I don't think
1: there's any difference between how the Daleks act here and how they act in um, the David Whittaker Daleks stories.
0: No, I feel you. Does it make you want to listen to series two? It does. Yeah, me too. So who knows, maybe we'll be back here another time talking series two.
1: I'm interested in doing series two.
0: Great, well, there we go. Anything else you want to say before we wrap things up? No. Good. So, Dalek Empire Season 1. Is it a clanger, a banger, or an average meander? It's taken me ages to come up with (laughs) one to go in the middle, but that's what I'm doing Uh, now. I I think that it's a banger. It is an absolute banger. Two certified bangers right here from us. Too hot for TV. Well, this has been... An episode of Doctor Who too hot for TV. Next time, I'm joined by Steve Hatcher of the Hoovers Group and the Hooverville Convention, where we're talking the Sixth Doctor story, the Mariahn conspiracy, and the uh, DWM giveaway story, the ratings war with the Sixth Doctor, and beep the Meep. Ooh. Yes. But until then, I've been Dylan. I've been Jack. And this has been Doctor Who too hot for TV.